I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to On the Bench. This is Brendan Sinone. I got Josh Newberg, Chris Nee with me. And frankly, I don't know how to start this podcast in a witty or even annoying way. I'm just going to get into it. How's it going, fellas? You guys safe? Good? Happy? Sound? Content? Oh, yeah, man. Good. 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 So we were going to do an, <laughs> <laughs> we were going to do an evergreen piece on recruiting Let's say that for next week. Josh had a really cool idea for that, and we'll get into that next week. There was you keep enough... pushing me off, so I'm just gonna, I'm just I, gonna I, be patient with it. But yeah, I've had this idea for quite some time. Like four whole days, you've had it, and you're showing a lot it's of patience. A long time when you're in court. <laughs> it's, it's a long it time is. to think about this idea. Do you guys, off the top of your head, know what day it is? Yeah, it's Friday. Oh God, I thought it was Thursday. I was gonna joke. Uh, I really thought it was Thursday. It doesn't matter. They're all blending together. Uh, but we will do the recruiting thing that Josh has thought of for a very long time next week. I'm not pushing you off. My point is, Josh, when there's actual news to talk about, we have to talk about the news because we got big news today, Brandon. It's not big news, but it is newsy. Uh, and I want to discuss a couple things. Get your guys' thoughts on Coach Norvell and. Uh, in our recent interview with him that he did with the media this week, I, I put that on the podcast so people heard it. I want to break that down a little bit. Chris got athletic director David Coburn as well in a one-on-one. Uh, he had some interesting interesting things to say about the athletic program in general. So I want to get into that. Uh, then we'll take a break and, we'll, and we will do some recruiting news as well as some uh, Q&As. And, and there is news on the basketball front with uh, Patrick Williams going pro. And Chris will break that down for us as well. So we do have a lot to get to considering that there's not a whole lot going on in the sports world, but guys, I want to get your thoughts about coach Norvell, what he said the other day and generally how he's approaching this, uh, this pause this this lockout, whatever we want to call it. I, for one, uh, have a lot of, uh, when, when listening to him and, and talking to him, a lot of confidence in him. He's someone that seems to have a plan. Uh, this obviously isn't ideal for him, but I think that FSU is in a, as good a spot as it can be, with the guy who's managing the program right now, because he does seem so hands-on, so CEO-ish, so detail-oriented. I think this is going to help keep FSU afloat as much as possible. Chris, uh, what are your thoughts? I feel like he approaches things with a positivity and that he's forward thinking. He's, he's not someone who's going to dwell on the negative. He's trying to think, how are we going to stay engaged with the student athlete? How are we going to keep the student athlete engaged physically, mentally, academically, you know, circumstances are circumstances, but he's he's gone completely with mindset of going virtual. How are we going to do this? How are we going to navigate this? 
He's not worried about a timeline. He'll worry about, you know, he's working with this date because this is the date that's been given to him. And if the date changes, he'll change with it. He's not one of these people that, you know, worries about things. He thinks out scenarios. He thinks out plans. He executes them. And it's all go ahead, straight, and very aggressive, but also done in an intelligent manner. Josh, you transcribed a lot of that. I think all of it, well, you and Chris may have, but you posted it. So you were able to listen to, to everything he said. Uh, generally speaking, thoughts on on what Coach Norvell's approach has been been to this? Does it give you the same confidence that it gives me? Like I, I felt good after hearing from. Yeah, I didn't actually end up go back and listen because I because I transcribed it all um, through Wait, the how, app. How, how'd you? Oh, so you used Otter? Yeah, but you got to do a lot of uh, you know cleaning Clean up. up with that app. So yeah, Otter's a Otter's an interesting transcribing app. I don't know how I feel about it. it might there, take there, was, there, there was some more cleaning up that was needed after I went through the the transcript. Oh. Let me, yeah. Anyway, um, it seems like he just he attacks every problem the same way. It's like he identifies it, and then it's instantly all right. Well, what are the solutions here? How many solutions can we find to this problem, and how can and how are we going to adapt to it? And it's and it's like that with everything, whether it be recruiting, team, um, off field issues, on field issues. He kind of goes about it the same way. And you're seeing this over and over and over. And I talked to a couple sources um, in the offices, and they tell me that starting on Monday, they were given a script, like a, a schedule, an itinerary. And it has almost 12 hours of the day planned out, like to the T. And this was something that, um, you know, Norvell was sitting on. And, and as soon as his uh, employees came back to the virtual office, they were handed this script, and they've been off and running ever since. So, I'm going to touch base with um, some people over the weekend and see if anything's going to change. But it seems like they've kind of settled into a routine, which is good in times like these. And kind of going with the routine real quick, uh, some things that I think we should kind of paint the picture for our listeners. If you didn't hear uh, Norvell's uh, the actual Q&A that we had with him or the, uh, the read the transcript, each morning he has a three or four hour long meeting with his staffers on Zoom. So like they're all talking and interacting with each other and going over different things, whether it's updating on players, whether it's recruiting updates, whether it's scheme stuff, it's all sorts of stuff that they're going over. My favorite aspect of that, Kenny Dillingham apparently is changing his background to a picture of a different coach every single day. So like a like an Alex Atkins like beauty shot or something like that. And so Kenny's just having fun with it. I, I thought that was a, a good detail. Um, so that's part of the routine. The biggest obstacle is that, you know, none of these workouts that they're giving to players or none of the film sessions or playbooks or anything are mandatory. Uh, so you got to find different ways to motivate them. Uh, so that was the one one of the problems that I want to kind of present that the staff has to work on. And I'm not saying that it is a problem for them in the sense like guys aren't doing it. I actually think they're finding ways to kind of push the right buttons, trying to get guys to uh, be active on social media is one way and reward the guys who, who are doing work by retweeting them and in positive reinforcement. Um, that's something that's going to have to be maintained now for the next couple of weeks at, at the earliest. Chris, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Well, there's two points. One, I'm going to add David Coburn's answer to this very question because I asked him about Norvell losing the first brain, how he's seen him react um, when we spoke a couple of days ago or yesterday. Days feel so long. 
his response in quotations. It was very difficult for him, but it was interesting. The way Coach reacts to adversity is just work hard. He just doubles down. He is, as I said earlier, he's reorganized, restructured everything so that they could continue to stay in contact with their student-athletes. He keeps his head up and leads by example, and it's been very interesting to watch. I think that's a pretty strong vote of confidence from the boss man for a football coach. It takes um, a lot to, to perk uh, David Coburn's curiosity and intrigue him when it comes to managing something, right? Like, I think that's that's what I took away when I read that quote yesterday, Chris. Well, I think David's just a guy who he thinks by numbers in a lot of ways, and he just wants people to do their job in an effective, smart manner. And I think he's been impressed with Norvell being that. And I think, you know, in some ways that's a departure from what the predecessor was, which is what Coburn dealt with when he took the job. And, uh, you know, I think he's pleased to see that. I think it's a progress in that building for him that he'd like to see that he believes will breed better results for that program. And the, uh, the other thing I was going to mention is it's funny. Uh, I think Seminole Headlines, I think Ira actually brought it up on Seminole Headlines. When we first started doing this 15, 20 years ago, players used to go home in the summer all the time and, like, stay home or go away for the summer. There wasn't the year-round workouts. And he brought up the old 16-110s. They would have to come in. They'd have to run them at a certain time. And you could tell who didn't stay in shape, who got, you know, out of shape. A lot of puking involved with that. Guys just falling out on the field. And it's funny we've become such a culture with football where we feel like it's a 365 24 seven kind of job. When in reality, if a student athlete wants to be good, he's going to put forth the work. If he doesn't want to be good, he's not going to, and it will show itself to. So in the sense of these guys being home and it being on their backs to carry the load, I think it kind of thins the herd with the transition we're going through of, who wants to be good for FSU football in the coming season versus who is just hanging around claiming their scholarship money and going to school. Well, part, part of the spring that was unknown to me, Chris, was that we wanted to see who was buying in. Right. And I think you saw early signs of it. And obviously the buy-in when you're talking about a cultural overhaul, isn't just winter conditioning drills. Isn't just spring football. Like it carries into the season. There have to be results. We saw that under Willie, uh, but at the same time we were seeing guys showing major strides in the weight room. That's, quantifiable like an anecdotal you could see it uh they measured it like it it's there you could see guys learning things on the football field during the spring like brendan gant had a couple bad reps one day the next day and he got chewed out the next day he comes back it was laser focused and performing well that's anecdotal james blackman was sloppy with the football on day two took care of it got rid of it on day three like you, you saw things where the coaching the way this staff is working was showing signs of progress but then the big unknown going into the spring or exiting the spring is like how much is that going to stick to your point chris with the vetting process and seeing who can who can help out who's buying in who's committed uh, this is maybe an organic way to kind of find find that out if guys are getting out of shape then maybe you know that they're not really that serious about things about florida state football about football in general right now uh, that may be a silver lining. Yeah, I think the the one negative is the lack of in-person reinforcement and interaction. Obviously, FaceTime and those kind of things exist, but there's not as much of an ability to have that instantaneous, this just happened, Brendan Gant punching the wall after a miscue, Coach Norvell getting on him, him deciding against being that way the next day. That's not going to happen. You can't replicate that in the current you know status we're dealing with. 
Josh, I'm going to come to you in a second. So stop chewing whatever you're chewing. What I want to ask, Chris kind of touched on this. I, I do want both your thoughts on this. There seems to be, and again, I, I think there's a lot of inherent negatives with this situation for a new coaching staff. Everything's new. Scheme, culture, uh, whatever. It's all new. And you only get three spring practices. Coach Norvell talked about that and hoping if they do get spring practices back. Uh, or, or some of those practices back that it's even to other teams that maybe had like 10 practices if you get them back like in the summer or something like that. But the silver lining I can find here is that I think this is the right guy to be managing this type of situation. I think FSU is fortunate that Mike Norvell and his staff are in place right now. I don't mean to drag them, but the last staff, I would be very concerned about the the direction of the program if there was this kind of as chris said not hands-on ability right now yeah i agree with you <laughs> are you asking me a question i mean you went on this long <laughs> rant you laid it out pretty well he just wants to all. positive reinforcement give yeah yeah that's all i want why do you have to give me crap about it of course that's all i want it's just to agree and i'm setting up for you i say all this great stuff and people are going to be like josh had a great point on the podcast you know, what? No, let's be honest. He, he needs a virtual hug right now. Yeah, you you hit on a lot of great things. You were long winded. You said you you said more than I was gonna answer back. And uh, I, just, I just wanted you to come back and say, yeah, Willie Taggart would have been a complete disaster in this situation. Oh, that's all. That's yeah. the soundbite I wanted. I was trying to focus on Mike Norvell. The Willie stuff was in the past, but I mean, I agree. You know, Mike Norvell. Sure seems organized. He seems like the guy for the job, and um, he's what we have. So he's the best that we got right now. And um, I do think the program's in good hands with with Mike Norvell at, at the helm right now. But let's not sugarcoat it. At the same time, them losing twelve spring practices and all the spring interaction they would have had for essentially a forty day stretch, it's devastating. There, there's yeah. no way for them to fix it. Because the only way, the only way to get more in sync and to get better is through reps and they're they're losing hundreds and hundreds of reps so there's no way to really sugarcoat it but if you are looking for a silver lining i think brendan's long-winded answer was great and the mental reps are as important as the physical reps the interaction of understanding this is how i'm going to work with this coach this is how the coach is going to work with me this is what the coach wants to see on the field this is what i'm trying to do on the field none of that can be recreated in the virtual sense Mm mm-hmm Oh, you guys want me to to start talking again? I was told I was too long winded. You're the no, host. We're, we're, keep it we're moving. Told you're the host. That's what it says. Host, is there any- producer, <laughs> bourbon lover. Isn't that what your Twitter profile is? Uh, I love bourbon. I think it's what it says. I don't know. At one point, I had Ob's Budsman on there and defender of Josh Newberg. I think I took that out. Um, when did you take that out? I don't know. You want me to check right now? We got nothing else That's going weird. on, right? I mean, I still defend you. Just, you know, you're not catching as much crap these days as you were back then. That is true. Bro, someone said that your coverage of recruiting was comparable to War Chance, and that pissed me off. <laughs> I kept those receipts, <laughs> CJ. That would, that would piss me off, too, if I read my uh, Producer of On the Bench, lover of bourbon. That's not grammatically correct. I don't have a period there. Hashtag Upsbudsman. So I still have that in there. Yeah, that's correct, Chris. Anyway, yeah. all right. To talk so, about. Uh, I talked to David Coburn this week. Let me tell you, it was fun. It was about 24 hours ago now, actually. I was on the phone with him. David was good. Uh, it was pretty straightforward, 15-minute conversation. 
I asked him about his reaction the day one of college sports shut down. He was at the ACC tournament. I actually talked to him on the court when the tournament got halted. Uh, he talked about kind of just dealing with that in a moment. He was with Dan Rakovich, the AD from Clemson, as the commissioners and the ADs all spoke about canceling the ACC tournament that morning. And he said basically his first action, he didn't really have a reaction other than being disappointed for a basketball team. Um, that they were not going to be able to play through that and continue to play uh, into the postseason. He knew that was kind of the end for that. His first reaction, or I'm sorry, his first action was calling back to campus and pulling all the sports off the road and kind of explaining this is where we are. Um, we talked about the season, basketball season, how pleased he was with that team, what Leonard and the group did. He said he never encountered anything like this before. He actually evoked Coach Bowden, apparently. He said recently that I'm not sure in my lifetime we've ever dealt with anything like this. He said he hopes he never have to deal with anything like this again. Excuse me. He uh, spoke about programs all going virtual. He said he's been unbelievably impressed. Amazing to me is how flexible these coaches are, is the quote. Just in the sense of how they've interacted with student-athletes, how they've gone about trying to keep them you know, part of the program. They have adapted to the times, what they have to do. And done it all on the fly, reorganizing and restructuring everything on the fly. Uh, I referenced the Mike Norvell quote earlier, which kind of spurned out of that one about how he's done with losing spring. He uh, did say that he hopes Norvell spoke on earlier in this week, Tuesday, that he hopes for the potential of summer workouts as well as changes to recruiting calendar. Uh, AD Coburn kind of said that there have been discussions by both the AD and presidential level about uh the summer workouts they have not yet gotten to changing the recruiting calendar. He does believe that will come. We dived in um, on financials for this. He said, you know, obviously it's tough. They haven't really been able to yet calculate the numbers in real time, but they do expect to get there. We obviously see it, saw the NCAA put out the numbers that they're reducing the payment out because of the NCAA tournament loss. They do get some money because of insurance, but they don't get as big of a piece of pie as they would have if the tournament had been played. He, uh, I asked him, because obviously a hot topic this week has been, could the 2020 football season be threatened by this? And obviously that's a big what if, and nobody truly knows that answer yet. And I'm not going to get into politics of this situation or talk about different curves and different timelines for it burning out and all that. Plain and simple, though, if it was to happen, if it was canceled, he compared the financial impact of that to essentially a nuclear blast, that it would be devastating to athletics because of TV contracts, ticket sales, parking sales, concession sales, everything that goes with football. It's such a big moneymaker for him. It would be insanely difficult, and obviously it would be devastating for a program in year one of a new head coach. But if we're worrying about football season getting canceled, we probably have bigger situations to worry about than just football, obviously. Um I asked him about the Monday votes coming up for adding a year for spring athletes and potentially winter athletes. Uh, he wasn't entirely stone cold confident that spring athletes would definitely get it, which I was kind of surprised by. I expected that the belief would be that they would get it, but we shall see on that with the winter athletes. There's a lot less expectation of that. Um, and then that brought about the question of how do you deal with scholarships for that, especially with a sport like baseball. Baseball deals so much with a scholarship limit as well as a cap to the roster. If you're allowing a lot of guys to come back and adding, say, 15 guys, it creates a lot of complications. And the final thing I asked about, because I'm a basketball head and I love my coach, Leonard Hamilton, um, 
new contract on him. He said, talk to coach yesterday, which would have been Wednesday. We're working away at it. We're going to get there. I'm very comfortable that we will get there as is he and that co co-signed by everything I've heard from over in the basketball building about they're going to get that contract worked out and he's going to be here for pretty much as long as he wants to be here. And I think most people would share the belief that he's earned that right at this point with that program being where it is. That was pretty much it. And then I asked, I'll share this quote, his overall message during these times. Well, the message is everyone stay healthy. Keep your families healthy first and foremost, and just keep communicating. We cannot communicate enough in this situation with each other, with our student athletes, with our fans and our supporters. Stay healthy, stay safe, and communicate. All in all, I appreciate his time. I thought it was a good 15 minutes. Nothing said shocked me a great deal other than maybe the spring athletes getting the additional year being not as cut and dry as I thought it was. I thought that was almost a certainty. But everything else, you know, I felt like was what I kind of expected to hear from A.D. Coburn. Uh, as I said in the Norvell part of the podcast, I think he evoked a lot of belief in what Mike Norvell brings to the table and that they feel like they have the right guy in this situation at this time for that program. It's a good, informative piece that Chris had. He summed it up perfectly there, but if you want to check it out on Knowles 24-7, see the full quotes from David Coburn, Chris had the whole Q&A transcribed, so, uh, so I'd recommend you guys check that out if you haven't already. Like he said, not a whole lot of of earth shattering news, but it was good to have some reinforcement of things that you're thinking. Obviously the, the budget stuff is kind of what sticks out to me. The impact of losing football season would obviously be, be huge on, on a program that's had some budgetary issues in the past too. And, and yeah, so that's something to certainly monitor. Let's see, we're gonna take a quick break coming back on the other side of it. Josh touched base with a couple of uh, grad transfer prospect, including everyone's favorite, Chris Murray, uh, Nee will, will give us a little bit of basketball updates, and then we have a Q&A. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. We uh, we got some recruit scoop for you. Chris will do a few updates on offers that have gone out and whatnot. But Josh, I'm going to kick it to you first. You just traded some text messages with a few, uh, I guess, would be considered priority uh, grad transfer prospects for Florida State. Yeah, I spoke to a pair. Um, I touched base briefly with Chris Murray. 
Um, he didn't really give me too much, but I know the situation going on there. Um, but I'll talk about Justice Reed first. He's the graduate transfer from Youngstown State, defensive end, um, going for his seventh year of eligibility. So he told, I just asked if anything's been new. He said, nope, same schools have been hitting me up, nothing different. Can't visit until the 15th for now. Hopefully it stays that way and doesn't get pushed back even more. Um, he's basically hoping that things go as scheduled on April 15th and, and it opens up. I doubt that happens. Um, he'll reevaluate it if that doesn't happen and just kind of go with the flow. But obviously he's got to make some sort of decision um, this summer at the latest. So we'll see. I think FSU is in a good spot for him. As far as Chris Murray goes, the, the um, transfer from UCLA, he started as a freshman um, and is leaving the program and will have three years of eligibility after he sits out one. So Chris Murray is not a graduate transfer. He's not somebody that's going to come in and help next year. And to be honest with you, as much as he gets asked about on the message board, he's not nearly the priority for the coaching staff for two reasons. One, he's, a but he's, an, offensive, he's an offensive lineman, Josh. Well, one, he's a guard, and two, he has three years of eligibility remaining. And just because he started, remember, there's guys that started on FSU's offensive line. Somebody has to start. So you've also got to take into account what the situation was at UCLA. And kind of from what I'm hearing is he's not exactly a can't-miss guy. And if he's not a can't-miss guy, do you really want to bring somebody in that has to sit out a year and then has three years to play? Is he going to clog up your depth chart? Is he going to, you know, does he really want to move across the country to come do that? There's just a lot of variables in play. And for that reason, um, I don't know how to say this. I guess I'll just leave it at, you know, he's a lot more um, appealing to, to message board posters than he is other teams right now. Yes, FSU does want to get him in on a visit. They were trying to get him in April 10th through 12th, mainly as a fact-finding mission to get to know him, to see him in person and all that sort of thing. So this isn't like um, Chris Murray's in the portal and FSU's just doing everything in their power to land him. Uh, They're very, you know, this is a two-way street here and they're trying to feel him out just as Chris Murray would be feeling out FSU. So um, I don't, I don't think people need to freak out about that, that one, Um, mostly because it's not going to impact anything on the field in 2020. Um, so the other guys, you know, everything just is in a wait and see mode. I wouldn't say that FSU is really heavily involved with any offensive line transfers at the moment. The the one thing I would add just for a little context on Chris Murray's is the PFF metrics on him are below average. I think he's in the fifties, the last two years as a starter. Right. So, you know, if he was a, I think, I don't know how much he would help the guard situation. I think he played a little center too. I think he could maybe represent an upgrade at center, but how much a one. And, and you got to look much, at your roster and see the guys that are red shirting right now. I mean, or, or are coming in as freshmen and where Chris Murray would kind of land with those guys. So I, yeah. I would just kind of chill out on Chris Murray for a little bit. We'll see what happens when, when everything opens up after this dead period. Part of the issue the tra- is, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. The transfer portal creates some weird fan attachment situations. Very much so. It's just, it's odd. Like I get it. It's a place where you can find band-aids and quick fixes. So it is important. It's something that FSU definitely needs to employ and use effectively. But not every guy that enters the portal is a guy that a school should go after. There's a a lot of times there's a reason beyond I want to play more why guys entering the portal. It's either he can't cut at the place he's at, had issues at the place he's at, 
I believe in Murray's case, he has had documented issues before um, that, you know, raise some red flags and some concerns. You don't want to always jump in on a kid just because, oh, it's a number at this position. So it's just kind of a weird deal to me. Like, I, I find Justice Reed to be the most important guy that we know FSU is involved with in the transfer portal because he can help mm-hmm. at defensive end. He is a veteran, and he's a one-year guy who can play immediately. Every time I'm – well, I, I subscribe on Twitter for alerts to the uh, 24-7 transfer portal uh, account. So so every single time there's an update, I get it pinged to my phone. And since like the last week and a half, two weeks since basketball season was, was canceled, there's been a lot of transfers. And I keep seeing guard pop up, this guard, you know, Temple guard or, or Illinois guard or something like that. And I get excited every single time I see it because I think it's maybe someone to at least research and see if they can help Florida State. And then I realize it's not an offensive guard. It's a, it's a shooting guard. Yeah, the basketball transfer portal has exploded this week, and we'll get into that in one of the Q&A portions, but, I mean, it's nuts how much it's filled up, and it's crazy to me how much it's filling up with guys making decisions without the ability to take any visits to some of the schools they're committing to, and it's not schools they probably were recruited by, especially guys that are going, like, Ivy League to ACC and stuff like that. That's going to be an interesting dynamic, uh, and I mean, even for football, like like Josh mentioned with Justice Reed, like guys and what their timeline's going to be with a very truncated window, like if they're even going to be able to see a school they want to go to, uh, if that football season is delayed or pushed back. There's so many moving parts to it that it's it is interesting to see the influx of guys for for hoops. But anyways, let's let's transition here uh, to a little bit more recruiting stuff. There are a few offers that have gone out. Chris, I'll ask for you just to do a quick summary of, of some guys that you've written about in the last two or three days. Well, in total, there's been around 15 offers over the past week by FSU. They kind of took off the spring break week, and they've dived back in this week. Um, most recent ones, defensive end from New Jersey, Aaron Armitage. Uh, defensive, or Actually, I'm sorry, is Armitage a D-end or a D-tackle, Josh? You wrote about him yesterday. I'm sorry, he's a defensive end. Okay, yeah. So defensive end Aaron Armitage, defensive end Savion Jones, who's from Louisiana. We've seen FSU kind of hitting up Louisiana a lot in these 15 offers. I think Louisiana is a state they feel like they can make a dent in because if a kid isn't going to LSU, then your next concern is Alabama. Once you get beyond Alabama, maybe Texas A&M. And after those, it's kind of wide open. So schools can go in there and find some kids if they can get beyond those first two, three potential landing spots and have a shot at him. But Savion Jones, talented defensive end, was on an undefeated high school team last year. Uh, from what I understand, Coach Norvell, Coach Papuchas, and Coach uh, Fuller all spoke to him last evening when the offer was extended. Deshaun Troutman is from down Brendan's way. He's a Miami boy that's relocated to Orlando. He's at Edgewater, I believe it is. He can play at all three levels. Pretty effective linebacker. Good in pass coverage, actually, for a guy who's probably an inside backer at the next level. Tyree West is a really talented defensive lineman from South Georgia. He's from Tifton County. He's a uh, top 10 player in the country in 2022. He's a guy that I've seen him in person. He's, he's a monster. He's unbelievably physically put together and very, very athletic for his size. And his film backs it up. He's very good on film. He's truthfully a kid who I think his ceiling is still way up there. Like I still think there's a lot more improving on the football field he can do, despite the fact that he is so productive and so impressive in many ways. Um, Samuel Mbake is a wide receiver originally from Georgia up near the Kennesaw area. He's at IMG Academy this year. 
he is another 6263 type wide receiver that definitely seems to be kind of the the exact area that the wide receiver offers go to is guys who are about 61 plus about 64 long-armed athletic can work to all parts of the field definitely seems like the type that the staff here really likes tj dudley talented linebacker from alabama was recent offer safety Jaden slocum who i believe is from north georgia if i remember correctly he's a kid that was supposed to play with cam newton's team this summer and probably would have blown up if he was able to do that so those are some of the newer offers we've seen. I think I covered the ones from Louisiana that came a couple of days prior, including Shaz Preston, who's one of the best players in Louisiana for 2022. He's a wide receiver. Josh, you got anything to add on the recruiting front before we move to the next topic? No, not right now. Chris, there was some basketball news yesterday. Uh I don't know if this was super unexpected. I, I feel like I had a dream that we already talked about this on a podcast, but we definitely have it. I don't know. That's uh, Patrick Williams declaring for the NBA draft. Uh, I was hopeful he was going to stay just because you kind of saw at the end of the season what he what he could do is like when he decided to take over, decided to be uh, be assertive, I guess would be the way to phrase it. Uh, what were your thoughts when, when that happened? I know you weren't super surprised. Is that right? Well, when Pat walked on campus, I always thought he'd be a one-and-done player. He walked in basically viewed as a guy middle of the first round to 2025 in the first round, and that's still where he's basically viewed. It's crazy two years in a row, him and Fiondu Kabangale last year. Sorry, Fiondu Kabangale last year. Nice. Both both ACC six-man of the year, both not starters, both go in the draft, both will be first-round picks. So it kind of mirrors that in that sense. Obviously, with Fee, there was a lot of development. With Patty walked in with a ton of skill, and they did help him develop further. But Pat's a three-level player. He can shoot from the inside. He can shoot from the outside. He's very good around the rim. Athletically, he's freaky. I think he's the best athlete on FSU's campus outside of maybe like a Trey Cunningham or somebody else over in track and field that I'm probably forgetting. But Pat's a special, special, special athlete. Um, excellent rebounder, good shot blocker, can scale it, can dribble it, can work 94 feet can finish at the rim like nobody's business. He's really, really good. I think the only reason it popped in my head that maybe he comes back is, one, how the season ended, and, two, the fact that because he wasn't a starter, and I know starter at FSC is kind of meaningless because guys get fairly equal minutes, I do believe that he would have had a more prominent role next year, in part because of the other guys that are departing, Trent Farris and Devin Vassell, forcing him to be more of an assertive scorer. So maybe we see that average go from, I think he averaged about 9.7 this year. Maybe we see it jump up to 13, 14, 15 category. And he's capable of getting buckets. Like he can do it. He can fill it up. But he's got to play to the team concept very well, which is why he only averaged what he averaged. But he's going pro. It makes sense for him to go pro. It's kind of like Devin. You know, Devin commented when we spoke to him yesterday that essentially the staff told him, this is the information. This says you probably should go pro. You're viewed as a first-round talent. Go pro. Jonathan Isaac wrote a great piece for the Players' Tribune. He echoed that thought of the NBA is telling you you're a lottery pick, and the staff's telling you you should go because you're a lottery pick. I think Pat falls in that same category where that's what the information told him to do. So that's what he opted to do. But you know, him and Devin commented yesterday that you know the way the season ended and emotions of it caused some consideration of coming back but at the end of the day you know if you can go get a guaranteed contract in the first round of the nba draft you probably should definitely always go do that and i think the staff at fsu 
is going to tell their guys they should do that if that's where the information points to. Okay, let's go to some. Thank you, Chris. That was that was good. Uh, let's go to some listener Q and A's right now. I will start off. Noel Duke asks if the NCAA does a summer mini camp to make up for spring practices. Uh, what non early enrollee freshman benefits the most from getting playing time? He adds that he knows that Chubba Purdy is the obvious answer, uh, and then was wondering if you guys think there is another one who could move into playing time with the the move of of practices. So basically, everyone being on even footing. Uh, how who does this make an impact for? My my first guy I can think of off the top of my head is probably Demory Tate. Uh, go ahead and and pencil him and then like as a two deep guy if he has basically what what's like a spring practice now to to go ahead and get ready. That'd be mine. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I, I probably would go Corey Wren. I think his speed is uniquely special. He's a bit of a change up in that running back room from what they currently have at their disposal. And I think he could fit in if he gets a little bit of a feel for what they're asking him to do. So he would be the guy to go to beyond Purdy and Tate. Josh, do you feel like weighing in on on this? On guys that we feel can contribute early? I feel like I'm getting Josh's C game today, I have to be honest. Uh, No, no, not guys that we think contribute early. Guys who benefit from the possibility of spring practice kind of carrying over into – an extended summer camp guys who yeah, basically I mean, benefit from being not even footing Brian Robinson to that one. He's already here. Yeah. I'm moving on Mariner 51 <laughs> as whether or not Norvell has, I mean, how's he going to benefit anybody that's not here? Well, like Chubba Purdy, for example, uh, does, extra practices. It, I, I guess mean, it depends when we don't even know uh, these summer workouts haven't been even speculated on by the NCAA. Have they? It's some Coburn said that the presidents and the ADs are going to sit down and discuss it. I mm-hmm. think the main concerns that people have is that everybody gets the equal amount of the same practices leading up to the preseason. Mm-hmm. So, like, if a school's gone through 15 spring practices, they would get none. If right. a school's gone through no spring practices, they would get either, you know, 10, 15, whatever they allot for the summer. Yeah, that's where it gets you know? interesting. The schools that had either gone through a bunch or had gone through none. Yeah, like, if you've done 15 spring and they give 10 summer, you get no summer. If you've done three spring and they give 10 summer, you get seven. If you've done right. no spring, and I don't, you give 10, you get 10. And that's what I mean, Norvell said he would like to see, too. Yeah, and for teams that were stuck in the middle, like Florida State, I, I would definitely be an advocate for them getting some sort of supplemented practices. But he's right. Yeah. He makes a good point. How do you do that equally across the board? And, and, and I think some of, the, have, some of the fear of doing it in the summer is, one, the potential of injury so close to season – Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you know, the more you bang in those 60 days leading up to the season, the more likely some injuries happen before kickoff. And I think the other concern that's been had is just what is allowed, what isn't allowed. Is it viewed as a spring where you're only doing like, you know, obviously for FSU it would be installed because that's where they are as a program right now. But are you allowed to do essentially the equivalent of a preseason practice for those additional X amount of practices? Or yeah. is it more themed like a spring where you're like a mini camp? Right. Right. How, yeah. how do you go about doing it? What, what I think they would end up. I think it would end up being somewhere more like a light mini camp where there's maybe no pads, but they can go through reps and stuff like that. Because let's, yeah, let's be honest right now, we can virtually rule out the month of May, right? Like the month of May is pretty much scrapped the month of June. I mean, maybe right now, Towards the end, we could see them getting back out on the football field, but I think this is more like July. And yeah, well, but like 
it goes with what you said. How close to camp do we want these guys banging um, on it in pads? I don't know if you're going to put guys in pads in, in July and then have them suit back up in, again in August. Yeah, and FSU's already gone virtual school till I believe the middle of summer, so that's like around the start of June or so. Most players enroll usually around June 10th, June 15th, so that would probably be the earliest starting point we're looking at. I think it would be important for guys to be able to get in better shape and mm-hmm. just kind of get back to the game of football with a little less bang and a little bit more just get their bodies right, get used to being back out there, and then allow them to go into the regular preseason. But I do think if if they are going to start preseason season on time, that there needs to be some form of built-in additional essential conditioning right. to allow guys to be in better shape. So pr- practice the potential of injury in practice is reduced by allowing non-aggressive practices that are more condition oriented. Mm-hmm. I think the mini camp idea that Josh alluded to makes the most sense where it's a non-contact type of deal. That's equal to the amount of days that you didn't get in the spring or, or something kind of equal in it, getting you close to it. And those are all optional if schools want to, to utilize every single one of them. They can, if they choose not to, they don't, they don't have to, um, but give everyone the chance would, would be the ideal, idealistic thinking there. Next question, Mariners51 asks whether or not Norvell has looked into doing virtual junior days like Kansas. Also, latest status of recruits who visited in March. I have not heard anything about the virtual junior day idea. Uh, I haven't heard about it either, and I haven't seen anything on it. Um, I'll check this weekend and see if they have any plans to. I've been talking to coaches, and I think I mentioned this on the other pod, but um, – they're kind of getting bored of call, and I'm not saying FSU coaches. This is actually does not come from an FSU coach, but he told me that it's kind of the same thing. Like these kids are are just taking calls from all, especially if you're you're talking about a top tier prospect. They probably got eight, a dozen teams calling them all day. I mean, they could they could be on a video FaceTime all day if they wanted to. And at this point, um, it's getting a little monotonous. So. I think we're going to see one of two things. One, we're going to see maybe a back off of communication for a little bit and let everybody recharge, or we're going to see them get creative and, and do some different things. And I think that's probably more likely. I, I highly doubt we see them back off, but um, I think coaches are going to have to get creative and start doing something a little bit different than just doing these these FaceTime calls. I mean, how many times can you do that with no no visit date set or no visit destination in sight? You know, it would be a really cool idea for both recruits and like high school coaches is to host like a, I don't know if they can with, uh, with the NCAA rules, but like a, uh, like a clinic remotely, uh, basically go over whiteboard stuff or plays or, or they may not want that out there. Like for someone to be able to record. No, that's a good idea. I think that may, that, that could be the direction they head next is more instructional where everybody can join in and it's not as personalized to each recruit or something, but yeah, I think that's a, that would be that would be fun to see like Mike Norvell on Instagram live getting up on the whiteboard and, right. and drawing up plays. Right, uh, that would be, be unique and different. I don't know if you can do that, but uh, don't worry, guys. You don't have to give me credit. If that's what you end up doing. Dub Quacker uh, at. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Well, to add to that, one there were seventy five visitors that saw FSU in March before things got shut down. So that's kind of a broad question. Um, I, I would add to that whole point. I think for FSU, it's more important to figure out who they are truly in it with that they want and work on building relationships with that guy. While they spread a wide net and offered a lot of kids and you can have communication with a wide net of kids, I think this time 
is kind of weeding out who you're really in it for that you have a shot with that you want. And if that kid's receptive to talking once a week here and there, however it is, figure it out, build that relationship, just be somebody they can talk to during this time when hell, let's be honest, most of us are massively bored and or panicked depending on the person and build those relationships. And then when you can have in-person interaction, have that again, I don't think it's worth FSU having an online junior day and showing a hundred kids that are all just bored and maybe interested a bunch of stuff when they can focus on 10 kids that maybe they have a shot of getting five of try to close the deal on those. I think it's more important about being kind of hyper-focused versus broadly focused. Chris's next question is directed for you uh, and it's going to ask for five minutes. Let's not do that, please. Uh, at least this, uh, this episode dub quacker, Asks, can he just do five quick minutes segment uh, covering basketball recruiting, i.e. prospects, transfers, reclassifications for, for this recruiting cycle? Well, one name I've mentioned routinely is Josh Gray. He's from New York originally. He's playing up in Connecticut at Putnam Science Academy. He's a 6'11 Ford, non-committed kid, 2020 class. FSU's been involved there. I've tried to get up with Josh Gray consistently over the last week especially once Devin decided to go pro and we knew Pat was coming down the pike too. I knew FSU would have additional spots. I was trying to get a hold of him. I've had no luck. I've talked to Evan Daniels, who, if you're a basketball guy, follow Evan Daniels. He's been awesome during the pause of getting up with coaches, breaking NBA draft news, breaking transfer news, breaking recruiting news. He's been on it. He's great. He broke Pat's announcement yesterday when it happened, right before Pat put it out publicly. Um, and he said that with Josh Gray, that he has an insane, difficult time getting a hold of him, too. That That's kind of the M.O. for that kid of, as far as getting a hold of him. I know FSU had, like, kicked the tires on some other guys. You know, uh, Jamonte Hill in Georgia is one I had heard, but I don't think they're serious with him. Tony Sanders at Gulliver Prep in Miami is another one I would heard. These are both high school recruits. But there's nothing really to report there based on what I've been able to find out. Now, they're keeping an eye on a lot of transfers, as I mentioned earlier in the pod. The transfer market for basketball has exploded in the last week. I expect that trend to continue throughout the next week or two. I think we're at 300 plus now. It's probably going to swell about twice that size. I think last year it settled in overnight, or I'm sorry, 600 transfers. So FSU continues to look there. Jordan Bruner from Yale is a forward, talented kid. But the most recent thing I saw from him, he said like four or five schools that were recruiting him the hardest. FSU not, was not among them. But I do know FSU did reach out to him when he hit the transfer market. He's a one-year graduate transfer, talented kid, good rebounder. He'd help some in filling the role that's left open by Pat. The other possibility, I don't have a good name for this at this point, is somebody in the 2021 class, a big reclassifying to 2020. Now, there was a point where we heard Jonathan Kaminga, who's the number one player in that class, could do that. He's a kid that's interested in FSU. But from what I was told this week, that's not likely to happen because he hasn't been able to take many visits. Therefore, he's not really in a position to make a decision as a 2020 prospect, which means he needs to stick with 21. But, but I don't know if, you know, somebody like Musa Sissi, and I know I keep mispronouncing that name, but I can't remember how I'm supposed to pronounce it, so I'm just going to stick with the way I keep throwing it up. He's been to FSU, but I don't know if he can reclassify. And then there's going to be, obviously, others to keep an eye on. Jabari Smith's a big man in that class but I don't think he's a reclassification possibility. So I'm chasing names. I don't have a whole lot of concrete to report on that yet, but I do think some of it is FSU's waiting to see how the transfer market fills up and kind of see who fits what they want, what they need, 
and fits into the kind of team dynamic they go with. But it is something that I hope to have something more to report on in the coming days and weeks. Okay, we have a couple more questions before we wrap up. This one comes from T Boston 99. Uh, with there still being a need for tackles for this upcoming season, do you think that the staff will pursue any transfer offensive tackles? There are still guys available in the portal like Brandon Council from Akron, uh, Uzoma Osuji from Rice, and uh, Keldrick Wilson from Hampton that the staff could possibly go after. What are your thoughts? I know we kind of touched on junior or junior college uh, graduate transfers, but is there specifically tackle picks? I think Josh, you had an update on Wilson, like a mild one earlier in the week, but I'll throw this question to you. Yeah. None of the guys in the portal currently now are guys that I think FSU is in love with. Um, Keldrick Wilson's a guy that they've reached out to. There's been contact. Um, obviously there's no plans to visit because there can be no visits, but there's no, um, I wouldn't say any of the guys that are currently available are instant impact players, nor are they guys that the staff is particularly fired up about right now. Um, would we see maybe one or two of them come on campus and maybe something transpire possibly, but right now, uh, the options are light and I don't know if, uh, if they'll truly pursue any of the guys in the, in the market right now. It's weird losing spring football nationally has kind of put a ding in the transfer portal because I think there was a healthy amount of kids that were going to go through spring, see where they stood with their current team and roster, and then make a decision on entering the portal. And some of those kids still will, but I think there will be a little less of a shove as we may have seen if there had been an actual spring. It's kind of been the antithesis or uh, the opposite of the uh, the basketball transfer portal with that season getting getting truncated. Yeah. T- TB Golf 714. Can you all speak to philosophy differences between the head coaches, coordinators from from each coach, sort of an evolution of the last five years? Uh, we could probably do like an entire podcast on this, right? I, I mean, I think <laughs> I think the entire I think obviously Jimbo Fisher. Uh, let's work backwards. I Mike Norvell has a lot of Jimbo qualities to him that I can see, but with much more balance as a human being is how I viewed it so far. Uh, you get some of the, uh, you get the detail oriented. You get the guy who sees things really quickly, uh, corrects it quickly, but does it in a way that kind of, it could be like a, like a harsh slap on the hand or a pat on the back. It, Jimbo, there was not much nuance there. Philosophy. I think that's a big difference. Uh, I don't, we could do a whole podcast on this. Is there anything you guys want to add to that? No, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, the one thing I mentioned is I think I called uh, Jimbo staff like a live in the office staff, and Willie's staff was very much a bank hour staff. This staff's kind of a good balance of those two. They don't live there all hours of the day, but if they need to put in the extra time, they put in the extra time. If they need to show up early, they show up early, and they're very much the trains run on time kind of staff. I'm, I'm mentioned it numerous times in different pods how impressed i am by if they say something is happening at 9 a.m it happens at 9 a.m and that involves things that involve individuals that aren't under their thumb and their control you know a recruit coming in they'll say oh we expect him around 9 a.m here he is pulling up 904 a.m things just run on time and i think that's very impressive for a program that you know needed structure that we see that kind of structure yeah, um, similar to what you guys say, I agree with all that. But I also think, in having seen you know this play out over college football, there's not just one way to be successful as a coach. So like, you don't have to stay in the office all night to be successful. Um, but what I do like about Mike Norvell and his staff, they seem comfortable with their strategy. So, you know, 
sit back and watch see sit back and watch it work let's see tone capone four you know tone uh tc4 i'm gonna say we kind of answered your question already throughout some other conversations uh, that we've had uh you did ask though the second question was how would you fix your recruiting calendar this year if everything gets back to normal soon mike norvell when uh when he was asked about recruiting i think i asked him specifically about the timeline for recruiting and how this pause really impacts it he seemed to be, without saying directly, like, I'm in favor of it. He said he wanted the NCAA or thought the NCAA should explore the possibility of eliminating the early signing period. Curious what the YouTube recruiting guys think of, of that and how that could maybe help uh, make up for the lost time right now. Well, I think um, this point – go ahead, Josh. It might not matter because there might not be a football season. Go ahead, Chris. There would still be uh, recruiting, though. <laughs> I think his point with the eliminating the early signing period is he doesn't want kids who are unable to take unofficial visits yeah. or visits earlier in the process to be forced into a decision without being able to research fully what they're looking at. For school like FSU, they need, obviously, to play some games and win some games, but they need mm-hmm. kids to show up on campus. That's the essential piece of their recruiting puzzle this year is building personal relationships to win out with kids who have better current options from the standpoint of where that school sits right now in the hierarchy of college football. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the best teams, the the top teams are still going to recruit the best. So it's the, the best thing for Florida state is that a season occurs, they play better football and whatever they decide to do in recruiting happens. But you know, they're still going to, this is still a slow, a slow rise for Florida state that they're, they're just embarking on. So the most important thing is that this season gets played. And Norvell asking, or not again, not asking, but but suggesting that the NCAA maybe look at extending the early signing period or, or eliminating the early signing period. I think it makes sense. Also, it's self-serving for FSU. I'm not saying that he's saying that solely for self-serving purposes. It just it makes sense. Like for it to get extended to Josh's point, the results need to happen on the field for you to get some yeah, of the guys. Because the, even if, if it gets even if it gets extended, the top kids are still going to be looking at the top schools. Like it's 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 not going to magically put FSU in position to land better prospects. It's just going right. to give some kids more time to make their decision. And that gives you more of a chance. Is all you're asking for if you're playing an odds game at this point, right? Is is give us a chance to maybe win eight games on the field this mm-hmm. year, and then we get in that conversation in February, rather than guys already having their official visits already scheduled and done. Uh, before yep. before December, but that's that's what we're looking at in that regard. Uh, Ivan, I'm not reading your question purely out of spite. Uh, Dehaney, ten. How does this impact FSU targets specifically with their recruitment? Example: uh, Dink was close to committing to FSU, but had a couple more visits planned. Now what? It hurts FSU with the guys that are leaning in their direction and might commit soon, and it helps FSU with it potentially helps FSU with guys that they're they have ground to make up on because there's more time. So not saying that that's going to exactly happen like that. I mean, a guy like Dink John, uh, Dink Jackson, he said he was pretty much going to commit April 14th. So how does this impact him? Well, if he's not on campus, April 14th, does he still commit? I don't know if he extends it. I'm not saying this is going to happen because right now it seems like it's really a battle between FSU and Louisville and FSU is going to win this one, but other teams could jump suck it Louisville. Well, I'm saying other teams could jump in if he extends it a month or two. Not, you know, that's unlikely to happen. But those are just things that could happen when, when this, when a situation like this is occurring. 
Yeah, we, we've seen it work both ways. We've seen a lot of kids put out narrowed lists and kind of shorten things up. <clears throat> and we've seen others say, I'm pretty much doing nothing until I'm able to hit the road again and see more school. So it kind of depends on a per kid basis. But I think the two extremes are some are just moving ahead with either making a commitment, naming a top three, top five, top eight, whatever it may be, or just I need more time and I'm waiting and I'm basically on pause. A possibility that kind of sucks for Florida State is the realization for me that there could be the the first year bump that comes in recruiting. Uh, they didn't get it with Willie Taggart because the product was so porous in year one. Now with Mike Norvell, like we don't know what year one's going to, it's a completely weird and different recruiting calendar than we've ever seen before because of the coronavirus. Uh, but then we don't even know what's going to happen on the field, if that's going to go on, like the potential for that year one bump to not exist. Understand that there's bigger fish to fry than, than that with the whole, uh, with everything in the world. But that's another thing that kind of concerns me. I'm not sure if, if you guys have thought that far down the road, but like that might be two, two coaches in a row where you don't get the benefit of a, of a year one recruiting bump, which would obviously hurt. All right. For On the Bench, I am Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Josh Newberg, Christy, for joining me. We'll talk to you guys sometime early next week. I may not be part of the podcast, though. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.